baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 971 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. Wiggins America. Why don't we do it in the road? Good morning. My name is Ryan Wiggins. This is Wiggins America. I am here to make the case to you that things are about to shift. Part of that is indeed Elon Musk buying Twitter. Now, if you're not into Twitter, then I'm going to give you my Twitter handle at Radio Wiggins. And you're not even going to care because you're not on Twitter and you hear us talking about it all the time. And you're like, shut up about Twitter. I kind of get that. I'm okay with that. It's just that when you're in the news world... Twitter happens fast and news happens the quickest there. So that's why we're all enamored with it in that. And it's not just us and news, but there are, you know, lots and lots of people on Twitter from celebrities right on down to people who have zero followers and follow a thousand people. Twitter makes an impact on the news world that it just does. So <clears throat> the fact that Elon Musk is buying it and reports are, and these all came from apparently Steve Bannon. So I'll, I'll source him and say whether it's true or not is really up to him that Twitter got nervous and offered to lower the asking price down a few billion dollars, which is no small thing from 54. If he would continue to allow to censor certain people like Donald Trump. And he said, no, because that's one of the reasons apparently that Elon Musk has bought Twitter is he thinks there's a void right now that Twitter will be able to fill if allowed to exist freely. Now, other platforms have come in and said that they're going to be that platform. Lots of others, in fact, Getter and Parler and Truth Social. And I always mention Frank speech because I think it's the funniest one because I don't know anybody. I literally don't know anybody that's on it. Sorry to you if you did sign up. Hey, great for you if you're still using it somehow because you probably have a, a large share of the Frank Speech audience because there aren't that many people on it. Um, <clears throat> but point being, this is a, a big deal and it's, it's a shift. And if you don't care, that's fine, but it will affect you because the best example, and there are so many of these, is the laptop story right before the 2020 election. It was censored. According to polling, it would have had an impact on the election, and people still are pretty upset about it, or at least they know that maybe it would have altered their opinion or their votes, which would have changed at least the swing states. But I won't get into that right now. The reason I bring this up is not just because it's 
top of the news cycle, but because there's something else that's not being talked about concerning this purchase of Twitter. That's that's getting the headlines, but the Supreme Court has announced the cases that it's going to take up in its next session. That is one of them. When I say that, I'm talking about Section 230. They announced on Monday that they would rule the Supreme Court on a pair of challenges to this foundational law governing online speech, and that matters, okay? So even if this thing falls through again with Elon Musk, which it doesn't look like it will now, but we're looking at a possible sea change in the way that companies online can operate. As you may already know, Section 230 is supposed to limit the amount of interference that a platform can have on users. It says that if you're going to be interfering, like if you're going to be a publisher, you would be under a different set of laws than just a platform. Now, all social media and many other websites have claimed that we're just a platform. We're not a publisher, but they've gotten too involved in the content in censoring it, right? And that's the complaint is that you actually should be governed not as a platform, but as a publisher of news now. That's the big argument. Now, while that's a big deal, and we don't know how the Supreme Court's going to rule, we really don't on this one. Everybody's saying, well, it's a it's a rightward shift for the Supreme Court, so we know that they're going to rule in favor of all the platforms being under or different under Section 230 now being classified as publishers. That's not necessarily a done deal. And I don't even know whether it's going to matter. So my case to you is that, A, this thing's not getting any attention, this Section 230 case, but it will. So watch out for it. And B, no matter how it's ruled, so it's going to be part of the news cycle at some point in the next few months, depending on when the case actually comes up. So I'm just warning you now, going into this thing, you're going to hear a lot of opinions about what should be done, what will be done, how the Supreme Court's going to rule. But my case to you is that that case, <laughs> this, is a, this is a bad move on my part to say, you should pay attention to this. And now it's not going to matter. <laughs> but that is kind of what I'm saying. Because let's say the court does nothing. Well, then nothing changes. Let's say the court does something. If they do and they rule that two, Section 230 does now apply or the rule change it would apply to platforms, what are platforms going to do in that situation? They're going to say, okay, fine. We won't censor conservatives anymore. We won't censor people ideologically anymore. But you have to allow us to censor crime, like child pornography or pornography in general. There's not much censorship of that, at least on Twitter. Or um, hate speech that's that's really hate speech. You know, not not the stuff that it's become, but... But we're talking about if somebody says, I'm going to kill you, we have to be able to step in and say, wait a minute, that you can't do that. You can't threaten to kill somebody. And most people would agree that really, really violent inflammatory speech is not something that should be online. Well, you also could take a laissez-faire hands-off approach and say, I'm not going to touch anything. That's, that's the easiest way to do it. But that's going to be the argument. The Supreme Court's not going to follow through and go, hey, you know what? You have to allow everything. There's going to be caveats that they say you can still censor this. Well, what's going to happen? Those platforms are going to take those things 
and just do what they're already doing with them and expand them to cover anything. They're going to say, oh, you will allow us to censor some hate speech. Okay, well, we're going to continue to expand the definition of that well beyond what you even originally said. So nothing's going to change. However, it will if ownership changes. So that's why it's important to have a free speech platform, and it looks like we are going to get one with Elon Musk, and that's a good thing. We have a lot more news. Trish is coming in here in just a minute, too, so we'll catch up with her after she just got married. How about that? That's coming up next. Wiggins America. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Trisha, I was almost going to call you Seekman in studio, but your name's changed. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I am I, I am sorry that earlier in the week when we were doing announcements on the Annie Fry show, you guys were touting this big announcement, mm-hmm. and it was that you had gotten married. Yeah, I did. I assumed that everybody already knew that, so I was like, boring. You're like, what? Are you <laughs> yeah. Ever? What is going on? So uh, I'm now making up for that by telling you congratulations. Well, thank you so much. And you know that it means something because you know that everything that happens on the air is real. It feels it didn't actually feel real. None of it did until this moment. Now it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. So what do I call you now? Trisha E? Uh, if you want to. Can I call you just by your last name? If you it's want to. It's kind of fun. I don't think I ever called you Seekman before. No. But I will call you Everding now. Okay. Okay. Sure. And I'll change your opening. Yes. Which we never play. Finally. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It does not matter at all. New intro. Um, I want to ask you about one serious topic this morning. But I also first want to ask you about one that's not at all. Have you watched She-Hulk at all? Mm-mm. Are you familiar with it? Mm-hmm. It's making some headlines for being kind of woke. Mm. But I think really She-Hulk. Well, I, I don't never think imagined. I don't think woke is the right word for it because I have been watching it. It's more <clears throat> that it's it attempts to be kind of feminist because it's all it's mostly written by women, females as Does all that the leads. Us? I, there's there's nothing about that those facts that I just shared that bother me at all unless they're doing the Kamala Harris I got to check a box thing instead of getting just who's who's best for this oh we have to hire somebody that that checks the demographic Yeah but box. with media it's so different right so you can media entertainment media uh explain Well I'm at the liberty, like by its nature, it's a piece of art. Mm-hmm. They didn't say we're no longer doing Man Hulk. They said that we think that there's an audience for She Hulk. We're going to create this piece of art, and you can choose to watch it or not watch it. To me, that's super different than being checking a box and putting somebody in charge of the country, or putting char- well, somebody in charge of a company, or putting somebody in charge of even doing whatever job it is I mean, at I the guess, expense of another job. Like, you're allowed to yeah. create this art to be what it is. I guess if what you're saying is we're trying to make a female-driven show, mm-hmm. therefore we're hiring females, yeah. that's one thing. Um, it, it, like, if we're going to try to make Fear Factor and, and American Ninja Warrior and we want to make it really all about guys, so we want a lot of guys working on it. 
That's that's one thing, and mm-hmm. I think that's what you're saying. Yes. That yeah, that doesn't really bother me. Or I'm going to write the story around whatever it is, whatever the thing is that I'm trying to appeal yeah. to, whatever audience. I think wh- where I get into it is if PA number four is a woman because they just are hiring women, and that has no bearing on the storytelling. That is where the issue is. That and and yes. there is, is some the, of that. Is that the claim? <clears throat> I don't know if they, when you watch the credits, which is all I'm just looking at the credits because I've heard that fact. Well, how how deep does it go? It actually is about 10 or 12 lines deep before you start to see a guy show up. So I don't know if the line editor really matters to telling Mm -hmm. the story for, uh, for She-Hulk, but that stuff is there. And there is some feminist stuff in it that I think it's almost to me as if, if a bunch of women are sitting around the writer's room, which apparently it was, all women writers for this, you'd almost feel pressure like, well, we have to say something about women in this because we're all women and that's why we're here. So it it feels less woke and more like they had pressure to defend women against men. And some of the ways it came off was complaining about cat calls and stuff like that, which I don't know, didn't really move the needle much for me, but it was an excuse for social media to act up and say, don't watch She-Hulk, it's super woke. But I don't think it was that big of a deal, honestly. But you haven't watched it, so. I haven't watched it. I won't watch it because it's not something I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. But I'm not really interested in most of those things. I'm not either, which is why I'm surprised that I'm watching it. And I've, (laughs) here's my complaint about it, is that it's a superhero show that really has no point. <laughs> like, there's no driving force behind seeing what She-Hulk slash Jennifer Walters is doing. She became She-Hulk at the beginning of it, so that was like kind of the origin story. Here's how it happened. And now she's just an attorney. And every episode, if this were on regular TV, it would feel like a traditional episodic where there's no, like, end goal. It's just that you're watching her every week do something different every week. That's fine. It's just that that stuff doesn't really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's weird watching that because you you don't see, well, she's trying to beat her arch nemesis. There is no arch nemesis, or at least there is for an episode, and then it changes. So it just feels weird because Marvel is so driven by here's the good guys, there's the bad guy, good guy's got to be bad guy. And that's just not there. So I think part of me as a storyteller is kind of interested to see where are they going with this? Yeah, what are you doing with this? Is there an end, or are you just going to kind of make this an endless episodic, which they don't really do much of anymore? Hmm. So anyway, I just asked because it's one of those weird things that people are talking about, but that I've never talked about, but I'm like knee-deep in it now. So Yeah, I <laughs> okay. saw no, I saw a trailer for it, and I thought, mm, that's not my thing. It's one of those that you could burn through, but Pretty they're quickly. releasing it every mm-hmm. every Thursday, and so I think they're on episode six now. And I'm I'm right there every Thursday, Friday watching it. So yeah, I'm not particularly passionate about feminist media. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Did you see that movie, Promising Young Female? I no, I don't even know what it is. Promising Young Woman, maybe is what it was oh, called. Young Woman. Promising, no, I, I'm just stop kidding. I haven't it. seen it. One of them. It was great. It was like an excellent film up okay. for all the awards a couple of years ago. There was a lot of the guys are bad girls are victims thing in uh-huh. it but it was well done and it was, it was a, a piece movie. of art and it was no it wasn't <laughs> that's uh, the theme <laughs> but i knew what i was watching getting into yeah. it and i didn't leave it like 
man, I hate men, but I, you know, I left it as what it was. I think yeah. each thing, each thing we consume, we have to be edu- like, we have to be self-aware enough to know I'm watching this. There's a bit of an agenda. I'm, I think most people are now. Yeah, I agree. So when they come out with something like She-Hulk or they make the lady Ghostbusters, <laughs> I know what you're doing. I don't care to watch it, but I'm not going to get mad that you're doing it. Go ahead and do it. It's not, I don't dislike men anymore because you've got women chasing ghosts around. I don't know. The movie you were just referencing, Promising Young Female or whatever. Yes. Was it trying to win awards? I mean, it was what those type yeah, of movies. Yeah, and it did, and it was awesome. And it did. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that's that's my only complaint about those kind of movies is that promising young woman is that what it was called. They go into those scripts saying, "Oh, I think this will probably win awards," which ultimately makes us more money. So it it is capitalist still. So I get that. But there was about, <laughs> and this is this is so long ago that I actually am surprised that I'm saying it. Mid 2000s to late 2000, right around 2010, I had a bunch of friends that were in the film industry who I think some of them have made it. But a lot of a lot of what happens is they end up either making it in the film industry and they become kind of underground filmmakers. But they're just they're just making it. And they are. Or they end up becoming wedding video people. (laughs) Yeah, those are your paths. (laughs) That's it. That's how you you make money. I mean, unless you strike gold. Exactly. Yeah, unless you become like a big, big mm-hmm. star, which, you know, some of these people have become successful filmmakers. Not to derail this too much, but have you ever seen Natural uh, Born Killers? Mm, it's been a long time. Oliver Stone, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino wrote it. No, I don't remember it well. It is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Does that have anything to do with what we're talking about? People making it big because it's like oh. early on Tarantino. Oh, gotcha. Like, okay. So I also can't stop thinking about it because it was so bad and so strange that. Did you just watch it? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I got another one. No, <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my we'll whole point in saying this week. is that these people were involved in a lot of that um, film culture and the uh, film. What's it called? The the film festivals like mm-hmm. that happen all over the country, and mm-hmm. there's there's really big ones, and then there's kind of middle ones, and there's little small ones. All I can think of is cans, but yeah, that's a huge, huge one. There's more, I know. Yeah, what you're talking about uh, the one that happens in Salt Lake City every year. Uh, whatever, that's Sun- Sundance. We, thank you. Sundance. <laughs> Why are we blanking on that huge. hippie festival? Yeah, that hippie film festival. There, um, and if you make it at those, then you are, you've kind of made it. And so they were at that level and maybe the mid level, and you just go around, you shop your films, and you you go around and basically make relationships. And then so and so is making a film, and oh, I know so and so, and he knows me from this. We're going to collaborate on the next project. If we pool our resources together, we're more likely to get funding. It's a big cluster that that's what everybody does. So they said at the time, though, in the mid two thousands to two thousand ten ish, that they and these are way left these are people who are way left of us and probably way left of even center they're almost all the way (laughs) at the time anyway i don't know where they are now they were about as far left as you get they said they were so sick of seeing gay movies because every single festival was just people trying to make the next brokeback mountain Mm -hmm. to to make it because they said oh this is the agenda if i do this i'll have a more likely chance of winning awards and yet that's what every single person was doing. So it was just all nothing. Like mm-hmm. they, they really didn't amount to anything. But that that's to me what I thought of when you said this movie about feminism, that a lot of movies approach a script with an agenda on purpose because they think I'll get an award out of it and therefore I'll make my money back. Well, so, this is a really good movie. I just wonder if 
that world has changed because it peaked so early that if if that world died off or if that's still the way film festival world is, I have no idea. It's probably similar. I, you I could, would think it's you probably can still see it in the content that comes out. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and but I just don't know. Like Bros, that you you read about mm-hmm. that that movie bombed, and that is a straight up gay comedy, right? Mm-hmm. And it did terrible. Billy Eichner. Mm-hmm. And he has complained. Man, on Twitter, that guy is so mad that his movie bombed, and he is blaming every, anybody he can find. That is kind of his thing, though. It is his thing. But it's 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 both fun to watch and also really annoying. I'm a big fan of Billy on the Street. Are you? Mm-hmm. And he was a big part of the American Horror Stories, those anthologies. Oh, I that, didn't know that. Mm-hmm. He came in about midway through. Okay. The, when that show started, and yeah, I'm a big fan of his. I've never, but never it's, dove he's into that an show. acquired taste. Yeah, is that the way he is on that show too? Mm-hmm. Everywhere he's he's the loud, same same character, pushy. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that's his thing. All right. Well, we'll stop there and go back into some news. News. Uh, we didn't get to what I was going to talk about with you, but that's okay. I was going to talk about OPEC with you, which oh. I know you were just. You couldn't wait to talk about OPEC. I am the in-house OPEC expert. Yeah. So if you need me to come back ever and well, talk maybe, about oil, yeah, if you and could, reserves and... sometime between now and serious questions, you don't even have to come in studio. I don't want to bother you. Like I, if you could just sit out there and do a call in, that <laughs> I will call in to talk about oil. <laughs> man, man, I need somebody to talk about OPEC. Trisha, get back get in Trisha. here, or just stay where you are. I'll, I'll even take you by phone. Ninety-seven-one FM Talk. On demand audio. Wanted to let you know that as I'm surveying the midterm landscape here, we're about a month away. Every single issue that voters care about really benefits Republicans. Now I'm pulling from memory here and saying that it's mostly economy, uh, it's border, and it's crime. Those are three of the big ones. Oddly enough, election integrity does show up on that list. But so does abortion. Abortion is one of the key drivers. And there's a big narrative out there about what that's going to do for the midterms for Democrats. Let me get to that in just a minute. But right now I'm looking at where abortion is literally on the ballot in 2022. And then I'll tell you a little bit more about where there might be <clears throat> different you know, turnout levels and things because it's going to matter more to people who are voting on it than people who are theoretically voting either against it or for it. So first, that's in California. I wouldn't say that California is going to have much of an impact on the rest of the nation. Republicans oftentimes can pick off a few House seats there. But other than that, there's not much going on. Uh, We definitely don't want to see abortion expand, but that is what's happening in blue states. In California, they're weighing in on preposition, preposition, (laughs) proposition one, which would enshrine abortion rights in the state's constitution. But what do you expect? It's California, you know, so um, it is expected to pass. But there are groups on both sides that are fighting either for it or against it. The California Catholic Conference uh, opposes Proposition 1. It's called an an expensive and misleading ballot measure that allows unlimited late-term abortions. I would have to agree with that. Michigan, though, this this is a big state. Obviously, this is a swing state. It's the... It's a place where, uh, oh, in Vermont, by the way, I skipped Vermont, but again, that's another blue state, similar stuff going on. Michigan is a swing state, and it has, it's very interesting because there's an abortion ban 
from 1931 still on the books there. But the law is currently being blocked by the courts while two cases challenge it. I think that's ridiculous. When when the law was written really shouldn't matter. It's the law. It, it, you can't have a court step in and go, well, but maybe people have changed their mind. Yeah, maybe they have. But that's why you have a legislature. That's why you have a process that if they change their mind, that's how you do it. You don't have the court step in and go, hang on a second. I feel like people have changed a bit. That's not the role of the court. So I really, really don't like that. Uh, a yes vote there would establish a new individual right to reproductive freedom, as in abortions. Carry out all decisions for the mother. Uh, baby, be damned. That is what's on the ballot there. That could have an impact on the rest of the nation. I'm speaking about this in terms of how it would affect us here and the whole nation rather than the babies born in those states. And I'm doing that simply because we're taking a sort of a a, uh, first-person point of view here. But obviously, we don't want abortion to be legal anywhere in the world. Uh, (laughs) There are nuances there to be discussed. But if we can all agree that it's a baby, then we should all be able to agree that it shouldn't be terminated. That's always the the heart of the debate. So I I neglected to open with that, but I feel like you understand that's where we're coming from. Kentucky is on the ballot here. So that's that's an interesting state because they're oftentimes, oddly, Kentucky and Kansas both are states where Democrats just randomly will pull off a statewide victory. And it's it's always rather unexpected. So Kentucky has Amendment 2, and it's similar, actually. I, I said that before even reading this. Uh, but it is true that it's similar to what Kansas considered over the summer. The proposal would change the state constitution to say that it does not secure or protect the right to abortion or require government funding for abortion. So this is a measure to limit abortions, and we'll see if it passes. It didn't in Kansas, and that is one that really could drive turnout. It did in Kansas. It did, and I'll get to that in just a second. Last couple here, Montana. Uh, actually, it's the last one on the list here. Montana voters will decide on a different kind of ballot measure. This is a ledger, legislative referendum on the Montana Born Alive Infant Protection Act that will establish that infants born alive at any stage of development are legal persons and would require providers to give them medical care after induced labor, C-sections, and attempted abortions. Medical providers who violate the law would face penalties up to $50,000 and 20 years in prison. So this is to more clearly define the rights of the baby in Montana. So this is what we expected, right? If, if, if Roe versus Wade was overturned, it no longer is federally protected and therefore becomes a state's issue. And every state is dealing with it differently. That's a good thing. This is moving forward. Uh, but this is what the battle looks like now. How does this affect the midterms? As I open this segment saying, I'm looking at a graph here put together by Tom Bonnier. He is a pollster. He is a very, very left-leaning pollster, and that is being kind. He is very leftist. That doesn't mean he's wrong. It just means keep in mind where he's coming from here. He's put together a voter registration graph pre and post the Dobbs decision, Roe versus Wade. He is he's saying that in mainly swing states like Michigan that we just mentioned, but also Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Idaho, Virginia, Arizona, 
South Carolina, Minnesota. I'll continue there. Uh, right up to about Indiana before it starts to drop off in Colorado. There's been a big registration gain among women. Now, he, as a pollster, is reading that, and he's reading into what happened in Kansas and saying that means that the midterms are going to go much better for the Democrats than we expect. And we're talking here about some states like Michigan and Pennsylvania. There's been a 10% increase in the gender gap between regist- registrations. So women have increased their registrating. <laughs> registrating? <laughs> I mean, I'm doing that a lot this segment. Uh, Proposition H. <laughs> uh more than men and up to 10%. So that's a pretty big gender gap. And in some of those other states that I listed, it drops off a little bit to 8% down to 6% when you get down to Colorado and 5% with uh, Indiana. So that could affect things. But what I don't like is that he is assuming that just because women are beginning to turn out the vote more, or at least they're registering to vote more than men after the Roe versus Wade decision, that that means that you're going to see a lot more women voting for Democrats. That is not necessarily the case. When you look at actual polling on abortion in general, the needle really hasn't moved much. And in fact, there's more, when you get down into the specifics of the issue of abortion, not just do you support the Dobbs decision, That's very broad polling, and most people who respond to it, they don't know exactly what they're responding to. Other the 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 question they're actually responding to there is, do you support change? And most people go, no, no, they they just don't like change. Period. And it works both ways because when the Democrats went to implement Obamacare, people went, ah, no, I don't like change. It, It was it was more of a reaction to that than it was even the policy. And so that's what's happening here. We've had Roe versus Wade for 40, 50 years, whatever it was. And then suddenly it's gone and people go, ooh, change. Uh, Change scares me. So polling always reflects big changes negatively. But when you get into the actual issue itself, what you find is that people across the board, but especially even women, they don't like the idea of late-term abortions. They don't like the idea of stopping a heartbeat. And that has actually increased since Dobbs because more research, people are finding out more about what abortion is and they're not liking it. So just because women are increasing their vote registration, that doesn't necessarily mean anything for the midterms. In fact, it could mean the opposite. Just like when we look at the border and we look at all these new Latin American immigrants coming to the United States, they can't vote. But let's say in 15 years, Somebody passes a, a a law federally that says, okay, look, we're going to give them citizenship and they can vote now. Well, everybody's saying that's the whole goal, that the, the goal is either A, chaos, which I think it actually is, or B, long-term gains for the Democrat Party because they're just adding voters down the line. That could actually backfire. And it is happening fast where Latino voters are shifting to Republicans very, very quickly over the last even just couple years. So these things that we assume, well, these are Democrat gains, they, they aren't necessarily. Now, the things that we know Republicans are strong on going into the midterms, though, the economy, again, the border, uh, crime, schools. I forgot to mention that one. These are big issues, and when you poll voters, these are the top-line issues, including election integrity. I'll mention that. It's not necessarily number one, but it's in there in the top five, six every time. 
But what does the media focus on? Now, Rasmussen does polls on this. The media focuses much more on issues like climate change and gender theory and stuff like that. They cover those kind of stories. They cover some they, they cover Ukraine a lot more than people say they want. And I that's that's kind of a weird one because that is a legit news story. But as far as what voters are voting on, the news does not report on anything in the top five, six, maybe even seven or eight categories that voters care about. Maybe abortion would sneak in there at the bottom, but it's not one of the top five for sure. So I think sum this up here. I think we're going into a midterm where all the news you're seeing about polling and all this stuff, I watch polling like a hawk, and I look at methods. There are people who are better at it than I am, but I know at least a little bit of what I'm looking at. And I'm telling you right now, Republicans are looking at a very good year, not just because it's the red wave and people have been talking about it, but I'm looking at issues, I'm looking at polling, and it's a lot better than we think it is. And the FBI has not done anything good for pollers, <laughs> okay? If you're trying to poll Republican voters, Republican voters, and especially MAGA Republican voters, however you want to define that, they have pulled away from polling and institutions more and more and more because they don't trust them. So I, I believe personally that those people are being undercounted even in the polls, which are looking better for Republicans right now than they were even a month ago. So I'll conclude on that and say that we'll be right back. Get more at 971talk.com. We had Allie Matheson, the famous Richard Matheson's daughter, on the show last week. Richard Matheson passed away a few years ago, so she's carrying on the legacy. And she runs a page called He Is Legend if you want to follow all the Richard Matheson stuff uh, that still exists out there on Facebook. And that's where I found her, and that's why we talked to her last week, is because of the legacy of Richard Matheson. And one of the episodes of Twilight Zone that I love that he wrote is the one with um, William Shatner with the creature on the wing. Every time I get on a plane, I think about I don't know about you, but and I, I'm not the only one either, because I told the story on the Andy Fry show this week that some drunk girl sat down between a friend of mine and I on the way home from a trip. She didn't even give us the opportunity to sit together. She just plopped down between us. Long story there, but for two and a half hours, she just blathered on and on and on and on. And uh, one of the stories she kept telling me is about, you ever seen The Outer Limits when that thing is on the wing? And I'm like, that's the Twilight Zone. I didn't have, I did not want to engage with her, so I did not tell her. I just interviewed uh, the daughter of Richard Matheson, who wrote that episode. She would have been like, "What?" She didn't even get the show right, so <clears throat> I didn't correct her and say Twilight Zone. I'd say Outer Limits. Oh no, I don't know anything about that. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> all of that is to say that I'm a big fan of not only Richard Matheson's work, as highlighted last week, but also William Shatner's and. All the Twilight Zone stuff, all of the Star Trek stuff. I'm a, I'm an OG with Star Trek, though. I like the original series the best. Most people that I talk to like The Next Generation the best. I don't dislike The Next Generation. They just kind of stair-step down for me, where I love the original and the writing of the original, especially. If you can get past the campiness, which is kind of part of the fun sometimes, there's some great writing there, really good sci-fi. Well, then Next Generation had some especially good with Data and the episodes that surround him and what does it mean to be alive. Well, after that, they they just kind of 
<clears throat> drift away from sci-fi to where now the new series, Discovery and uh, some of the ones on Paramount, they don't really have much sci-fi in them. They're, they're space dramas and they sometimes are action dramas, but they're not really science fiction. They're not weighty questions. They're not asking big questions or proposing what would happen if this happened <clears throat> and using sci-fi to do so. So I don't really love the new ones very much. I, I kind of dabble and watch them, but I, I really lose interest pretty quickly. But William Shatner is still alive, and so I hope at some point they can work him into something because I just love the tie-ins when you can get the original guys in there. For a long time, people have speculated that Leonard Nimoy, Spock, and William Shatner, Kirk, had a bad relationship at least later in life. And Leonard Nimoy is on record saying things as he got older about about uh, Kirk, I want to keep wanting to call him Kirk, William Shatner, that are very unflattering about the way he would handle scripts and he would demand that he had more pages than Leonard Nimoy and more lines and things like that. Well, all that stuff came out late. So I stumbled across this. This is an entertainment with E.T. that he did, (laughs) not E.T., the extraterrestrial. (laughs) I would watch that more, though. I would be more interested to see E.T. interviewing William Shatner than Entertainment Tonight. But this came from Entertainment Tonight, so it's got the little sappy music on it, but here you go. I don't know what happened. He just, uh, he wouldn't answer my calls. I wrote him a heartfelt letter uh, saying how much I loved him, and I wished him well because he was dying, and I wanted to see him, and, and I was so... I am so hurt, so devastated. His daughter reached out to you. She said, you know, he loved you. So somebody said, you know, they've known people who got ill and didn't want to see anybody because they were ill. Sure. And I'd like to say that that was, that was the reason. I don't know. This sounds like convenient framing to me from William Shatner now that Leonard Nimoy is gone of saying, well, it's maybe that he was just getting sick at the end and nobody, he didn't want me to see him sick, but that's, that's really not the case. Leonard Nimoy had been saying things that weren't, weren't mean, mean. They were just not, they were not nice. (laughs) They were not, uh, they were not favorable to William Shatner toward the end. And, uh, so it's pretty publicly documented that there was something going on there. Now, I don't know whose fault it was. I'm not going to say it was William Shatner's fault or Leonard Nimoy's fault because I don't know. But anytime I hear that stuff, it's just like if you hear there was fighting in the Beatles and you want to find out well, whose fault it was, you know. And Paul McCartney really comes out on top because he's lived so much longer. He's gotten to tell the stories more than John Lennon did. Um, I've always liked Paul McCartney a little bit better anyway, but the same was true. I talk about Pink Floyd all the time and the, the famous battle between David Gilmore and Roger Waters that is still ongoing. It's really surprising. So uh, anyway, if you're a fan, there you go. There's just a little more insight into the relationship that seemed to deteriorate later in life between William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. And, of course, my still hope that they can work Captain Kirk into something somewhere before we lose him. The guy's 91 years old, but he just went into space last year, if you remember, with Jeff Bezos. He's actually in pretty good health, but when you hit 91, yeah, you know, one little thing will do you. So hopefully we get to see that. At least the fan in me says hopefully we get to see that. This is the end of this hour, but we do have another whole hour of Wiggins America coming up. Stick around. Get more at 971talk.com. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.